Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, to have great faith, you have to be tested. As an athlete or student, entrepreneur, entertainer, you have to undergo testing to achieve greatness, and so it is with faith. To have great faith, you have to be tested. You know, the majority of us freak out whenever we think about tests or being tested, and why? Well, because we've seen other people fail at their life tests and have observed what happened to them. But the fact of the matter is that with faith in God, you're not going to fail. So listen in to see what great faith looks like. You know, in tough times, God starts revealing things to you that you didn't see before. You didn't notice as much. And so here I'm going through my tough times, Tina's tough times this week. And I, I went out one morning, I think it was Wednesday morning, I was doing my time of prayer, I walk and pray, that's the way I do things, because I get distracted in dark rooms, or on my knees, or whatever, I have to go outside and pray, and I'm, I'm praying to the Lord, and I'm praying Jeremiah 33.3, that says, call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and hidden things that you do not know. So I'd read that verse that morning, this is just days ago. And I said, God, show me something that I don't know. (laughs) I need to hear from you. Have you ever been to that place? I have got to hear from God. All right? By the way, your faith is a living faith. Don't think that your faith is something, it's like, you know, that you're just gripping on for dear life the rest of your life, and it's just stoic, you know, I'm never going to give up on God. That's not faith. Faith is a living faith that hears from God day in and day out. So I'm, I'm needing to hear from God on Wednesday. And I say, God, show me something that I don't know. And by the end of the day, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper into my soul, I want you to have great faith, Steve. I want you to have great faith, like strong faith. And that word that came from the Holy Spirit of God, don't think that you have to be, oh, all ethereal and floating out in the the stratosphere and and weird, touchy-feely. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit of God wants to talk to you every day of your life. Every day of your life. That's not just for Pentecostals. That's That's for Baptists. That's for... Uh, Methodists, that's for Lutherans, that's for any Christian man or woman needs to hear from the Holy Spirit of God every day of their life. Every day of their life. And so he told me, I want you to have great faith. And it brought me to Matthew 15, 28. By the way, we're going to be jumping around and hopefully you can see up here on the screen, you'll see all this, the, the words here, or the scriptures here. Matthew 15, 28 says, Jesus said to this lady, the Canaanite lady, which by the way, we're going to look at at the end of the sermon here, the message, says, woman, how would you like women? How would you like some man to say, woman? <laughs> hey, if it's Jesus, he can call you woman. You know, if you're a woman, if you're a man, he should be calling you a man, but we won't get into that. He said, woman, you have great faith. And I want, I want God to look at me and I want God to look at each of you and say, you have great faith. It's time, folks, to stand up and have great faith in God. 
And I'm not talking about these televangelists that are always, you know, touting their faith. No, 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 no. I'm talking a connection with God, a real faith that is unshakable, that's strong, that goes through thick and thin times and gets you to where you need to be. God wants you to have that kind of faith. Not a bragging faith, a real, genuine, a great faith. So what does it take? Here's what I want to ask today. What does it take for you to have great faith this week? Not 10 years from now, not down the line, right here, right now. How can you have great faith? Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures here. A couple would be an understatement. Several scriptures here, starting in James 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds are you going through a trial bible says consider it joy for you now you know what sometimes your trial it's not actually your trial it's somebody that you care for that's going through something and it pains you more than it pains the person that is going through it right well that's your trial as well <laughs> so consider it joy whether you or your loved one or your friend or somebody that you know is going through something tough consider it pure joy says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. As a good friend of mine says, perseverance, but it's perseverance. All right, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. How would you like to be mature, complete, and not lacking anything in life? I do. Guess what? My faith needs to be tested first in order for me to get to that place. It has to be tested. My faith. The Bible says that your faith is of greater worth than gold, but I'm jumping ahead of myself when I say that. Romans 5, verses 3 through 4, it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Are you going through suffering? Well, if you're not now, you will later. <laughs> There's some good news for you. People suffer, whether Christians and non-Christians alike. You can either suffer on your own by yourself or you can suffer with Jesus helping you along and getting you through that trial that you're going through. Good news is trials have a beginning and they have an ending point. And you can get through it and it's over and behind you and you're looking and it's done. It's finished. But anyways, the Bible here in Romans 5 says, that you, the suffering produces, again, that word, perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, when I, I, I learned this very recently. When the Bible's talking about character, you, as a Christian, have noble character. You are a child of the king. You are a son of God. You're a daughter of God. So when it's talking of character, it's talking of nobility. Nobility. Now, do you think if you were a prince or a princess that you'd need to be going out and trying to earn your way in life and trying to make yourself a name for yourself? No, you already have a name. You've already made it. God's already taken you there. You're already special. You don't need to prove anything to anybody because you are of noble character. But you got to have your faith tested here and there. <laughs> It's just the way God set things up. Look at this. Adam was tested before sin ever entered the world. It's the way that God operates, and we're going to talk about a little bit more of why that is. But look at, look at what these two scriptures in James and Romans both say. Look at this. I'm going to give you an equation. How many of you like math? 
Any mathematicians? Here's a math one for you, Jezreel. All right, here it goes. Testing plus faith equals perseverance. Test it's an equation. It's a spiritual equation. Testing plus faith equals uh, perseverance. Now, what kind of perseverance? Not the kind where I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to put one foot in front of another and then I'm going to get this and I'm going to I'm going to make it through the day. No, that's not the perseverance this is talking about. This is called hopeful perseverance where you are excited, pumped, stoked out of your mind. You can't wait to get through the day. That's the perseverance that I'm talking about. Real life, heroic kind of, I'm going to go get them, man. I'm excited about this day. That's the perseverance this is speaking of. So test, uh, excuse me, testing or suffering, uh, challenges, whatever you have, plus faith equals perseverance. Now, let me give you a different equation here. The second one is this, testing without faith equals disaster. <laughs> and that's what we're all scared of, right? I, I might lose my job. That's disaster. But if I have faith, I'm going to persevere through that. I'm going to get through and God is going to provide for my needs. Testing is laying in the hospital bed with cancer. No faith could equal disaster. Absolutely. It could equal disaster. But if you have faith, you're going to persevere through it. You're going to get through it with hopefulness, with strength, with rejoicing. I've got multiple experiences in my life where I was in a bad situation. Somebody that I loved was sick or I was sick. And somehow I had joy just bubbling out of me, popping out of me. I was joyful regardless of my circumstance. Man, you know what? God got me just cruising right through that challenge, right through that difficulty. And I ended up on the other side. The Bible says in, in uh, was it, uh, Psalms 23, says, even though I go through the darkest valley, I will not fear because he's with me. Disaster is not in my future because he's with me. I have faith in the living God that's with me. So picture this. I'm, I'm again, a different day, actually walking and praying early in the morning. I'm thinking that God is with me in this challenge, in this dark valley that I'm in right now. He's with me. That's awesome. And then Tina texts me, and she texts me something from First or Second Peter that says, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, blah, 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 who's called you out of darkness into his glorious light. He's with you through the darkest valley to bring you into his glorious light. He's bringing you through it and out of it. Praise God. You are not going to stay in your dark valley much longer. God is going to get you out of there. The Bible says we go from glory to glory, not from defeat to defeat. <laughs> we go from glory to glory. We're blessed, blessing to blessing. You know what? If we start getting this negative mentality that Christians are just always down, they're always hurting, they're always sick, they're always suffering, that's not the kind of Christianity that's written in the Bible. God wants you to have victory in your life, and he wants to help you get there. So testing by itself could equal disaster. <laughs> but perseverance, I like this one. If you re go back into James, there's another little formula here that perseverance plus time equals maturity, completeness, not lacking anything, and hope. Hope. I tell you what, hope is the most underappreciated thing there is out there until you don't have it. <laughs> 
And when you're hopeless, all of a sudden you say, oh, man, I need some hope. My dad was talking about suicide. Suicide is the end result of hopelessness. And God wants to give every human being on this face of this earth, he wants to give you hope. We're talking about great faith here, great faith. So testing and faith produces perseverance. But you know what? Without, without testing, your faith will never be great. Any athlete, you know, whether it's track and field, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, baseball, whatever, you are not going to be great until you get into the game of your life and your opponent's beating you down and you win that game anyways. Same in life. You can't be great unless you're tested. You can't have a great business unless you're tested in that business. You can't have great employment unless you're tested in your employment. In anything in life, you've got to be tested. That's what just shocks the living daylights out of me. Some educational systems that would say, well, let's not test our students. Are you out of your mind? How are the students ever going to learn anything if they don't have tested tests? How can you have sports if someone doesn't win? <laughs> I mean, there's got to be some level of competition in life for you to move ahead. And God goes ahead and lets the winds of opposition come to you to see what you're made out of. And God willing, you're made out of Jesus inside because that's how you're going to get there. All right, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7. In all this, you greatly rejoice in all of this what? All this mess you're in, all these challenges you're in. Your kids may not be serving the Lord right now. You might be poor. You might be sick. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though, for a little while that you may have to suffer some grief and all kinds of trials. These have come um, so, so that uh, the proven genuine, excuse me, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in the praise and the glory and the honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God wants to prove your faith, not so much to him, but to you. He wants you to be proven to yourself. There's nothing like getting up in the morning and saying, you know what? I can do this. Amen. I've been through hell on earth for a while here. <laughs> but I can do this. I can, I can go, you know. I was, telling, I was telling Tina, man, once we get through a couple of these trials, everything's going to seem easy from here on out. <laughs> I mean, this is tough. We're, but we're getting through it. And at some point, the going's going to get easier again. You know, that you're going to come out of the darkness into the light. But this whole concept of, of proven genuineness of your faith. Sarah, my daughter, spoke on Sunday night, Sunday night, a couple of Sunday nights ago. And she, she said that tests do two things. First of all, they prove, as we've already said, they prove what God is wanting to see in your life. To show it. To show it genuine. It's real easy to say I'm a Christian, but now I want to prove to you that I'm a Christian. You know, uh, it, it might be easy to say I'm a winner, but I need to prove myself as a winner. <laughs> I, I might say I'm not a victim. Now I need to prove that I'm not a victim. All right. I'm not going to let the stuff that's been done to me define who I am. Do you get it? I'm not going to do that. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. And that needs to be proven. But the second thing a test does is it pushes us beyond the current limits that we believe are our own. COVID is a perfect example. We're all cooped up in our houses, all worried. Oh, no, I'm going to catch something. You know what? We need to prove that we can get out of our houses. 
We need to prove that it's okay to go to Walmart and get something. We need to prove that we can come to church. Push the limits, and that's what happens. Tests push us outside of the limits that we've been limiting ourselves to. That goes with anything, spiritual or non-spiritual. We need to push our limits. We need to get out of our proverbial comfort zone and explore other places that God wants us to explore. So don't be so confined. And tests do that. They push your limits. They push your patience. They push your your mental well-being sometimes too, right? <laughs> but they push your limits. But you know what? Here's what else Sarah said. She said, God always tests us with good intentions. God's never trying to push you over the cliff. <laughs> He's trying to push you with good intentions. He knows the plans for you, and he knows they're good plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He, he has good intentions when he tests you. Praise God. Well, here's an example in Isaiah 22, and here we're going to read it. It's not, I'm not going to display every verse up here because it's 13 verses, but here's an example where testing without faith does spell disaster. If you don't have faith in God, the test could push you over the cliff. And in fact, many people have. But you know what? We're not of those that shrink back and are destroyed. We're those who believe and are saved. Have faith in God. Have faith in God, according to Mark, Mark 11. Um, but Isaiah 22, here's an example of a group of people who were tested and did not have faith, and therefore they experienced disaster in their lives. Verse 1, the prophecy against the Valley of Vision. I'm not going to go into all the details of what this means. Really good scriptures, though. It deserves a lot more than what I'm giving it this morning. But it says, what troubles you now? that you have gone up on the roofs. And I want you, this is crazy. This is a very picturesque thing that's going on. Your town is, your town is full of commotion, your city of tumult and revelry. You know, revelry is where people just go berserk. They're partying. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. The worst of the worst, there's revelry going on. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what's happening. Enemy armies are coming against Jerusalem. And here's how they reacted. They started partying like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> That's what they were doing. All right, revelry. They got up on their roofs. Your slain will not be killed by the sword, nor did they die in battle. What was happening? They were partying so hard that before the enemy even got there, they killed a lot of themselves off with their, just their, their crazy wildness. Your leaders have fled together. They've been captured without using the bow. All you who were caught were taken prisoners together, have fled while the enemy was still far away. They were so freaked out, they just, they left. They partied. They probably killed themselves in the process. Verse 4, therefore I said, turn away from me. Let me weep bitterly. This is the prophet Isaiah crying for his countrymen, crying for those around him. Do not try to console me over the destruction of my people. The Lord, the Lord Almighty has a day of tumult, of trampling and terror in the Valley of Vision. That was a part of Jerusalem that was kind of in a, a valley section. A day of, of battering down walls, of crying, uh, of crying out to the mountains. 
Elam takes up the quiver, and it, it just goes on. All the things. He strips the defenses of Jerusalem in verse 8. He sees the walls of, of the city of David, that's Jerusalem, broken through in many places. You've counted the buildings in Jerusalem and torn down houses. They were tearing down their houses inside the walls and using the bricks to try to strengthen the city wall because of, of what they feared. Um, you've, you've built a reservoir within two walls to try to keep water. Listen to this, but you did not look to the one who made it. You have, not reg- you have no regard for the one who planned it long ago. They had no faith. They were being tested, but they were not looking to God to help them. How hard is it? Ask, answer me. How hard is it for you to trust God? To just whisper a prayer and say, God, help me with this phone call. God, help me with this bill. God, help me with this health problem that I have. God, help me with this decision. How hard is it for you to just ask, just ask God for help? That's an expression of faith. And testing plus faith equals perseverance. You're going to get through the problem that you're facing. The Lord Almighty calls you on that day. You'll weep and wail. But look in verse 13. It says, see, There is joy and revelry, slaughtering of cattle, killing of sheep, eating of meat, and drinking of wine. And here's what they're doing. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. (laughs) That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Testing without faith equals disaster. And in this case, this prophecy came true. They were deported out to Babylon. They were slain left and right. There's all kinds of bad things that happened. So let let me, let me leave you with this thought here, not that we're quite done here, but great faith is tested faith. All right, Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Steve, I want you to have great faith. You know what he's telling me? I'm going to test your faith so that you can have great faith. Have great faith. All right, so in, in Luke 22, verses 31 through 32, here's, here's Jesus speaking to the apostle Peter, he wasn't an apostle. He was just following Jesus. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. Not just you, Simon, all of you guys. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. See, we want to be plucked out of the difficulty and the circumstance. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to build your faith through the circumstance. Don't be scared. God's got you covered. Test plus faith means you're going to get through it and you're going to come out on the other side completely perfect you know completely well completely whole all right he says i he says i pray that your faith not fail may not fail you and faith our faith in god is like a shield around us now i always used to think of this and i mentioned this before the shield of faith is spoken of in ephesians six sixteen. It says pick up the shield of faith and extinguish all the fiery darts that are coming what are those fiery darts lies threats fear coming against you you raise up your shield of faith faith in god and it says it's going to extinguish every single fiery dart now i used to think i pick up the shield but what's going on behind me (laughs) you know the shield of faith covers you all the way around 360 degrees all over on top of you under you are safe with a shield of God and a shield of faith in God. And it says in 1 Peter 1 5, it says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power. God's power. The faith itself is not so much the shield as the power of God that's ignited when you believe God and you reach out to God and you say, Well, what is faith? Well, we're going to talk about that right now. Faith is simply your connection with God. 
Do you have a connection with God? I hope you do. What does a connection with God look like? It's talking to God. It's listening to God. It's reading your Bible throughout the week. It's spending time with God. It's coming to church. It's being obedient to God, a connection with God. You can even have a tiny little weak connection with God, and you're better off than the next guy. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said, you just have faith like a mustard seed, like a mustard seed, and you can do mighty things for the Lord. Well, I want more than a mustard seed of faith. I want, I want great faith. So I'm going to have a connection with God. All of us have this invisible electrical cord hanging out of us that can be plugged into something. You can plug it into your 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 own purposes, your own future. You can plug it into someone else and be codependent and drive them crazy. You can plug it into your career. You can plug it into the government or you can plug it into Jesus and have a connection with God most high. Just talking to him, listening to him, receiving from him. I would say that most faith or all faith should pretty much be invisible. The more invisible your faith, the better, because it's not so much about your faith, it's about the God you have faith in. So don't go around bragging about how strong your faith is. Go around bragging about how strong your God is. You know, these televangelists that are faith, 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 stop talking about it and start talking about God. You know, I worry about people who stay home every Sunday and watch televangelists because half those guys are kooks. <laughs> they really are. So not all of them. Be careful, man. Go to a local church, a life-giving church such as ours, and get connected with God. Get connected with God. Make sure that your feet are firmly planted on the ground, that your head isn't floating off into some other place. There's so much stuff on TV, man. It's call Christian. You got to be really, really careful. I've noticed that throughout COVID. I've talked to people. I haven't been going to church. I can't go to church. I might get sick. But you know what? They'll watch televangelists and go off the deep end with a bunch of nonsense that's going to get them in trouble. Man, the word of God is it's fundamental. It's foundational. It doesn't have a bunch of weird stuff in it. It's just the truth, and you believe it. And you're strengthened as a result of it. So our faith, it shouldn't, I shouldn't be bragging about my faith. I should be bragging about my God. And so I don't have faith in my faith. I have faith in my God. Front and center stage is not the spotlight on me and my faith. No, front, you know, my, the spotlight is on Jesus, who I'm clinging to. He's more than a crutch. He's my stretcher. <laughs> you say, oh, Jesus He's a, he's just, he's a crutch for you. No, no, I'm laying down on him. I have, I'm leaning so heavily on him that if he moves, I'm going to fall right over. That's how, that's what faith looks like. And that's the kind of faith you and I, you, you and I need to have. People who say, hey, you know what? You as a Christian, you're brainwashed. Yeah, I'm not only brainwashed, I'm heartwashed as well. God has cleansed me through and through. He's, he's my everything. He's my all in all. So great faith ignores itself and focuses on God. Do you get that? Great faith ignores itself and focuses on God. I was thinking this week, I was having such rich times thinking about the great faith since, since Wednesday, since that experience that I had. It says, faith, these are my thoughts in my journal. I just wrote these out, all right? Faith is the persuasion and confidence that six things. Listen to this. 
God's word is sovereign. If he says he's going to provide, that's his sovereign word he is going to provide. If God's sovereign word says he has a plan for you and a future for you and he's going to take you places and he's going to take care of you all the way, that's his sovereign word. It's unshakable. It can't be changed. It's going to happen. Well, I've just declared faith in God's sovereign word. So it's I'm persuaded and confident in God's sovereign word. The second one, this was my struggle. As I was journaling this and thinking about this, I was like, oh, here's mine. This is what I struggle with right here. God's promises are true. <laughs> I struggle with that. Are God's promises really true? Can I really trust in God's promises? Because so-and-so died, and so-and-so had a wreck, and so-and-so lost their loved one, and so-and-so. You know what? God's promises are true, period, end of story. And there's promises sprinkled throughout the whole Bible. I was in Psalms 92, and there was promise after promise after promise. I was like, you know what? I'm going to believe God's promises as the truth. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to be persuaded and confident in God's promises that they're true. Secondly, thirdly, God's covenant, and here's a word I was like, well, this is a cool word, is immutable. What does immutable mean? It's unchangeable. It can't be broken. God has reached out and said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and we're never going to break that covenant. Has God ever, ever destroyed the world with a flood since the flood? No. He made a covenant, put a rainbow in the sky, take back the rainbow, right? The rainbow in the sky, and you know what? He's never going to destroy this world with a flood ever again. Now, there's places in the world that are going to experience floods, but never a worldwide deluge is what happened back then. God's covenant, and you know what God's best covenant is? Jesus' blood shed on the cross to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, the ones you're committing now and the ones you will commit in the future. All you have to do is repent and say, Jesus, I am sorry. I acknowledge I've done wrong. And his blood cleanses you, cleanses your conscience. Some of you have had a guilty conscience, and God wants to cleanse your guilty conscience and make you not only be clean, but feel clean on the inside. Fourth, God's nature is good and faithful. I tell you, I had to come to grips with this several years ago. You know what? God, you're good, period. End of story. You know, these insurance clauses, acts of God, and they're all bad. <laughs> God's acts are good. Amen. He's faithful. He's true. He's awesome. He heals. He, he delivers people. His holiness, number five, his holiness means he is all-powerful and has complete authority in this world. He is all-powerful. I serve an all-powerful God. And sixth, and these were just my thoughts. You might have ten, ten more. But God's provision is endless. And I love this. I love this. If God gives me a million bucks, which he hasn't, probably never will, but let's just say he did, he's not taking it out of your pocket. <laughs> if God blesses me, he's not going to stop blessing you. His provisions are endless. He, gives all, he places all his concentrated love on Marsha and Ron and me. He doesn't spread his love out. He doesn't spread his blessings out. He puts it all on each individual. Only God could do something like that. Man, that's awesome. So the ultimate sign of faith, or signs of faith, these were in my journal as well, I was just writing this, is courage. When you really have faith, you're courageous. I'll go out, I'm going to go do something powerful, awesome, fun, exciting, adventurous. I have strength. I have hope. 
I have soulful rest. And this happened to me like on Thursday. I was like stressed out of my mind for the last several weeks. I mean, just stressed. And I woke up in the morning and I had this soulful rest, this peace all over me. I was like, oh, I feel like a noodle, man. Like, you know, this is the best feeling in the world. The, the soulful rest of God. You know what that meant? I had faith in God. I had a great faith in God. And you know what? Not on my own. God had helped me have that faith. Because you can work it up and say, I'm going to, okay, today I'm going to have great faith in God. Well, go for it. You need God's help to have great faith in him. You can't do it on your own. It's, it's too difficult. But uh, great faith spawns action. You're going to go do something, and it spawns testimony. In other words, you're going to talk different. You're not going to be talking negative talk. You're going to be talking faith talk, God talk. You know, God's going to do this. God's going to take me. You help me with this problem or that problem. Don't worry, we're almost done. So you can put on your shoes, but don't leave quite yet. All right. James 2.17, it says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Is dead. So if you have faith, you're going to go do something about it. You're not going to just say, I have faith. You're going to go take action. You're going to go give some money to somebody that's in need. You're going to go help somebody that's in need. You're going to go talk to somebody that's in, you're going to take action. So find somebody this week and prove your faith out by doing something for somebody else. Amen. All right. So last two quick scriptures here. Luke seven. Let me read it to you. Two instances of people in the, in the New Testament that Jesus said, you have great faith. One of them was a Roman centurion. In other words, he had like 100 soldiers reporting to him. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered this town called Capernaum. There was a centurion servant um, whom his master highly valued, and the servant was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus... And he sent some of the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. When, he, um, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue, built us a church. Can you imagine if somebody built us a church? We'd be like, yeah, I like, <laughs> this is nice. You know, well, they, he had built them a church, so they liked him. I would like whoever built us a church too, wouldn't you? All right, so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not, uh, excuse me, for I do not deserve you to come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But you say the word and my servant will be healed. Here's this centurion sending servants, giving Jesus this message. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one go and he goes and one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And this, this, I never forget this impressed me back when my kids were little. I thought, you know what? I have authority. And I tried. I told Kyle, I said, Kyle, go give me a drink of water. He was probably about seven. I said, okay. He went, brought me a drink. I was like, I have authority. Wow. You know what? I told my little daughter, hey, can you go get daddy, blah, blah, blah. She went and did it. I said, I have authority. You have some level of spiritual authority. You can tell a thought, a lustful thought in your mind, say, leave in the name of Jesus. And it's going to leave. You can say, you know what? I'm going to start, I'm going to stop doing this dirty stuff that I've been doing here on the side. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to take authority over that attitude, that behavior, that addiction I have. And I'm going to stop. And in the name of Jesus, you have authority. 
Well, this man understood, the centurion understood, Jesus has authority over me. And when I come under Jesus's authority, he gives me authority over things under me, my thoughts, my challenges, my behaviors and whatnot. So he had great faith. And so Jesus says, he turns to the crowd and he says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel, even in Israel. Wow, this Roman, this foreigner was exhibiting great faith. Great faith requires a crisis. You can't have faith, great faith until you've had a crisis and you get through it with your great faith in God. Uh, another part of this great faith that you hear Jesus. You need to start listening to God, actively listening to God throughout your day as you work, as you do whatever. You're listening to God. Um, great faith asks Jesus to do something big. You know, heal, restore, provide. Great faith is humble in the story of the centurion. You're not prideful. He, he wasn't even willing to come himself. He said, I don't even deserve for you to come to my house. Great faith believes the, sovereign, the sovereignty of God's word. He said, if you just speak the word, it's going to get done. You just say it, Jesus, and it's going to get done. This earth responds to God's sovereignty. He lived under God's control and he also learned what it was to take authority in evil situations. Now, here's the last one. Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, the second example of someone with great faith. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew from the region of Tyre and Sidon. He was outside of the borders of Israel. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out. Now, let's just put it in perspective. What did a Canaanite be like a Palestinian in Israel, let's say modern day Israel and Jesus is there, a Palestinian comes to Jesus. That's what this kind of equated to. A Canaanite woman from the, that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering, suffering terrible. Jesus did not answer a word. He ignored her essentially. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He finally answers the lady and says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take what the, the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. You're like, Jesus, what is he doing to this poor lady? I thought Jesus loved everybody. Toss it to the dogs. Yes, yes it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request has been granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. So listen to this. Five obstacles <laughs> that you have to overcome to have great faith. Five obstacles from this story. First of all, is the apparent silence of God. Have you ever prayed and you haven't heard squat from God? And you're like, God, are you there? <laughs> Hello? Knock, knock. <laughs> you know, we've all experienced that. Great faith gets past that. Jesus was in the, in the, in the uh, desert, in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights. No recorded instance of God, his father, speaking to him. The only time he heard his father's voice was when he spoke his father's word. And we got to get in the habit of doing that. The Bible says this, and when I speak it, in essence, I'm listening to God's voice because I've just heard it through my own lips. All right? So to have great faith, we've got to overcome that obstacle of this apparent silence from God. The next thing is you're not alone 
Uh, you're, you're feeling like you're alone. You've got to get past that feeling of being alone and saying, God, are you even with me? I don't feel your presence. Stop trying to feel God's presence. God's presence is not a feeling. God's presence is a reality. If he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. He's standing right there beside you, whether you feel it or not. So you've got to get past that obstacle of God is a feeling. I don't feel God. Stop it already. I mean, let's grow up. If God says something, it's true. And the third thing is that you're not righteous enough. You know, you, often I've done too many bad things. How's God going to answer me? How can I have great faith in him? He doesn't have faith in me. No, no, no. He is your righteousness. <laughs> you're, you're not earning your righteousness. He bought it for you. That's the grace of God. He declares you righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive it, accept it, believe it. The fourth obstacle that you got to get through is believing the stupid thing that we as Christians tend to believe that God wants you to suffer. Oh, God wants me to suffer. He's, you know what? It's going to be this way the rest of my life. God, he enjoys me suffering. No, he doesn't. He doesn't want you to suffer. Now, he allows suffering to come so that you'll mature and grow, but the suffering has a purpose. It's not the, the, the purpose is not for you to be miserable. It's for you to grow. As soon as you learn what you got to learn, the suffering is going to disappear like that. So stop thinking that God wants you alone. He wants you to suffer. He wants you to die of cancer. He wants you this. No, no, no. God does not want you. You're going to have great faith when you stop believing that God wants you to suffer. All right. And the last one is you don't know how to receive from God. You got to get past that obstacle of how do I receive from God? Well, here's how you receive from God. If he says it's yours, you appropriate it by faith. You reach out your spiritual hand. You say, God, you say you've given me joy. I'll take joy. You say you've given me peace. I'll take peace. You reach out your spiritual hand. You appropriate it before you even see it. Now, that's not, that's not crazy talk. That's Bible talk. Because the Bible says in, in uh, Mark 11, it says, Believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, that's not going out and believing you're going to get a Ferrari or a big house. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying these spiritual things that you need, receive them from God in advance. Even before you feel them, before you see them, let's pray.